Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This message was given by Peter Christofides at our Kubalup campus. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. Good morning, good to be together this morning. We carry on in our series on Haggai, uh, and the title is Turn From Self. The author is Haggai, and uh, We don't uh, fully know what his name means, but it is suggested that it means Feast of Yahweh. Uh, Haggai comes from the the longer version of Haggai, uh, which basically means a feast or festivity. And we don't know the reason for that, but it seems like uh, they might have named him uh, Haggai uh, because uh, he perhaps was born on a feast day. Uh, we know that he is the first of the three post-exilic prophets, himself Haggai, also Zechariah, and Malachi. We don't know too much about his personal life, uh, but he is the author. We know that the book was written at around 520 BC. And we can p- pick that up in the book of Ezra. So if you'll know, the Old Testament uh, has a chronological history up to Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Then we have the Psalms, Proverbs, that what we call poetry. And then we have the prophecy. And Haggai spoke uh, during that particular time. And his main theme, uh, or the book, is about the, the remnant uh, that were encouraged to be faithful to the very end. And so God speaks to Haggai and says to the people, listen... You, you have gone through difficulties, but now it's time to turn from self and rebuild the temple. So just to uh, rewind a little bit, we know that the northern part uh, of the, the kingdom uh, under Israel was taken into captivity by the Assyrians in 722 BC. Then in 586, the southern kingdom... Judah is taken into captivity by the Babylonians and taken off to Babylon in 586 BC. They were in captivity for 70 years. And you can imagine as they turn and are led into Babylon or away from Jerusalem toward Babylon, they look back and their hearts are broken, not because their homes are demolished, but because the temple had been burnt down. And folk, in the Old Testament, the temple meant where God dwells. It's not like if this were to be our temple where we gather on a Sunday morning, Saturday night, and other activities during the week where God dwells. We know that Jesus came and he did away or fulfilled that Old Testament scripture. But he comes and he says that he dwells within us. We, you and I, the temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells among us. And so we don't need to go to the temple, the building as it were, to meet where God is. But for them, they understood God being there. And so as they look back, that splendor and magnificence of the temple is on fire. And their hearts are broken. Not because they're going to a better place, but they're going to a terrible place. And 70 years later, God takes them out of the Babylonian exile and leads them back to the promised land. And it is in that situation that they'd been in for 16 years. 
And so they come back and they say, we are going to rebuild the temple because that's where God dwells. And so the zeal in their hearts was amazing because they said, we're going to rebuild the temple because we want to worship the true and living God. And they lay down a foundation, but sadly, that's all they do. And that becomes a problem. With all that zeal that God had taken them out, with that fervor and that excitement, they want to build the temple again. They lay the foundation, but it stays like that for 16 years. God sends Haggai, and he says to him, go and tell the people to make sure that their priorities are changed. That they need to put first things first. And I think that's a message for you and for me today. And he says it in quite harsh words. I don't know if you watch The Block. All Christians need to watch The Block. No. Um, But it's as if Haggai goes in there and he says, it's like Keith, you know, the big foreman there. And he goes, that wall is skew. needs to be knocked down. No, wait. Please, we've put a lot of uh, effort and come off our budget. It's got to go. And so Haggai... By the Spirit of God speaks to Haggai and says, Go tell the people that it is time to rebuild the temple. It's been 16 years since that foundation has been laid. It is time to put God first again. Now friends, you kind of go, what's the the issue here? See, for you and for me, God dwells amongst us and within us. But for them... They could not gather where God was. And so the symbolism behind it is huge. To put God in his, or maybe not totally delete him off the picture, but not to put him first in their lives was a major problem. So God speaks through Haggai and tells the people the truth. And we'll pick it up in Haggai chapter 1 verses 2 to 9. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. When the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while the house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink, but never have your full. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, But see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. Wow. Haggai's message is blunt. He pulls no punches. And he goes and he tells them straight. Friends, that is good news. That is good news, that God cares for us because he can leave us to our own ways and we miss the mark completely. But God speaks through Haggai and he says, 
Haggai, tell my people it is time. And the time is now to put God first. So here are a few practical steps that will help us on how to put God first that we glean from in this passage. Number one, stop making excuses. Goodness. God says through Haggai in verse 2 of chapter 1, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. It had been 16 years that the foundations had been laid. The intention to build God's house was good. The sincerity of their hearts was good, but they never carried it out. God says, listen, you're busy doing your own things, but you've forgotten my house. And it's not the building that was important. It was where God dwelt that was important. In other words, their, their heart condition was filled with excuses to say, listen, we've got other priorities and God is not number one. God is not number one. And that's dangerous, you see. Because when we come up with excuses, there will never be enough excuses to fulfill uh, whatever is available before we build the house of God. And so he says, listen, there are heaps of excuses. Times are hard. Jobs are scarce. Kids are still growing up. Uh, We need to fix the house up first. It's not the right time right now. Their family responsibilities, once I close that final deal, I will begin to put God first. Can I suggest to you that delay is decay? Delay is decay. If we say that we first need to do a few things before we do what, uh, before we prioritize the things of God, then we will never be able to put God first. Excuses, enough, God was saying to them. Admit that there is a responsibility to put God first and put it into action because if there is another excuse, then it's going to be a problem. You will slowly drift away from God. God was saying, stop making excuses. Secondly, stop being selfish. Turn from yourself, he's saying. It says that in verses 3 and 4, quite clearly. You see, because when we make excuses, that permeates our thinking, and we become selfish and we don't even know it. Verses 3 and 4 of Haggai 1, Then the Lord, word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? And friends, that word paneled houses is, has got to do with uh, you are busy uh, not building your house, but you are busy putting the final touches, the final glossy finishes on your own houses while you allow the weeds to go through the foundations, while you allow the house of God to lay in ruins. Now, obviously, I need to clarify that and say that there is nothing wrong with having a nice house. Please understand that. There is nothing wrong with having uh, possessions. But when your possessions are before the things of God and you're finding excuses and putting other things first, that's where the problem comes in. And that's exactly the context that Haggai is writing about. God is saying to him, Tell these people to turn from themselves. Yes, they can have their flash houses, have their flash cars, and have whatever, but what about my house that lays in ruins? Now, folk, 
This is not to make you feel bad because you're not going to attend the next busy bee. We don't need one. We're all good. So this is not to make you feel bad. It's beautiful. There's no major maintenance that needs to be done. But let me say this, that when we come up with excuses and that permeates our thinking, then we continue in our selfishness. You see, the human default mode is to be selfish. You don't need too much to do before you slowly drift from God. In fact, all you need to do is nothing. Our, our position is one of moving away from God and rebellion. Our disposition is one of going toward God. I've told you the example of, of when we go to the beach. We plant our umbrella in the sand and we're going to the ocean. And 10, 15 minutes later, we've drifted with the current. Why are we having fun? It's called life. Why are we having fun? We've drifted away. We look up and the umbrella is adjacently further. And so we need to come back to where we started. To come back to where we started. Because naturally the current takes you away. In fact, Jeremiah 17.9 says it this way. That the heart is desperately wicked above all things. Who can fathom it? Now that sounds quite harsh. But that's the truth. That is the truth, that our hearts are not in favor of the things of God. It's a discipline to be in favor of the the things of God. And he's saying, stop being selfish. Yes, fix your house, fix your, your flesh, whatever. Have all of that, but put God first in the process. Thirdly, as you realize that, that you are making excuses, and that leads to selfishness. Thirdly, don't miss out on God's blessings. And he says that in verses 5 and 6. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but never have your full. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Wow, that's full on, man. That's full on. Imagine you're in the shoes of a farmer who sows seeds but never sees the harvest because of the drought. Imagine you put on clothes but you stay cold. Imagine that you are working so hard and earning money but you never have anything. That's what he's saying. Because you miss out on God's blessings because he's not number one. You see, it's got to do with the condition of the heart. And if the heart is corrupt, it affects every other part of who we are. Now we know that the word heart in the Bible has got to do with with not only this machine here, but of who we are, our mind, of who we are, our very depth, our soul as it were. So they did not see what caused them this predicament that they find themselves in. And Haggai says, you're doing all these things, but you're not seeing any fruit for your labor, as it were. How sad is that? In fact, I'm reminded of Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. What is he saying there? Well, seek 
That word seek, in the Greek is the word ziteo, which means seek in order to find. So it's not just, oh, okay, a boy's look. No, it's look, drive yourself, strive to find what it is that God wants you to have. And what is the priority in the kingdom of God? See, blessings come through obedience. And God wants us to look for him, to strive to look for him in order to find him. I'll give you a terrible illustration. Every Christian needs to go through Where's Wally? No. Look, this book, Where's Wally, is for kids. Parents enjoy it more than kids many times. But as you look for Wally, you need to look pretty hard to find Where's Wally. We never grew up with Where's Wally in Johannesburg. So when we got to Darwin, we found these books, and we loved them, my wife and I. Um, And here's Where's Wally. But look for him. And it takes quite a while before you find him. But you need to look and strive to look hard with intention. Seek and you will find, you see. And we need to make sure that we don't miss out on God's blessings because we're looking for him, looking for him to put him first in our lives. Seek him and you will find him. Matthew six thirty-three. Then fourthly, I think it's always good to take time to evaluate. Take time to evaluate. And God speaks through Haggai and says the same thing twice in verses 5 and in verse 7. Consider your ways, God was saying. Consider your ways. That word consider is made up of three Hebrew words. Sun lebabal. Sun lebabal. Seek, consider, consider your ways, he's saying. That word, soon, put, bring, call, change, change your ways. Labab, uh, change your understanding, change the way you're doing things, change with courage your heart condition, if it's going in the wrong direction, and make sure that you are looking for God. Looking for God. And so when he says, consider your ways, have a look at your life. How are you doing? I don't know about you, but some of those New Year's resolutions that happened on the 1st of January 2019 were gone before the middle of the year. Gone. Some of the physical intentions, gone, clearly, as you can see. The more spiritual ones, I wonder how I'm doing. It's good to evaluate your life out of 10. Are you closer to when you started off spiritually or have you drifted? You know when the nurse comes in and says, what is your pain level out of 10? You know when God comes in and asks, what is your spiritual level out of 10? How would you respond? And so that's the question he's asking. Because if we don't evaluate our lives, we could miss the mark. The great philosopher Socrates wrote, the unexamined life is not worth living. In other words, consider your ways, examine your life. How are you doing? Are we putting God first or has he taken a bit of a back seat? You look at a pilot. 
If he doesn't examine, if he's en route all the time, before he knows it, just with a couple of degrees offline, he will probably go to another continent, (laughs) but certainly another country. Spiritually, that's exactly the same principle. We need to consider our ways. Is God still number one? Wow, how depressing. Well, let's have a look how we'll know that God is first in our lives. Firstly, we're effective in the right things. We're effective in the right things. Listen to what he says in verse 8. Go up to the mountains and bring down timber and build my house. In other words, what God was saying, listen, put me first. How will you put me first? Well, go up to the mountains, chop down the trees, and bring wood so we can build the house of God. In other words, putting God first. We are effective in the right things. In using our gifts and our talents and our possessions to honor God. That doesn't mean we shouldn't have good stuff. But it's to make sure that God is first while we have those things. And God is in the rightful place. Why? Because He is being put first. Secondly, God is being glorified in our lives. The word glorified means to make God famous. To make God famous. In preparing this, I'm asking myself, who is made famous in my life? And it's easy to say, well, got a beautiful wife, got a lovely son. My family are number one. But I, and I think you know, other people might say, well, it should be God. And I agree with that. But I have to evaluate my life. And I have to say, is God first? And if I am in the right direction, God is glorified. Now, I'm not saying stand on the street corner or in your office in the open plan with a loud hail and say, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No, it's not that. You're going to embarrass yourself. There are times and places for that. But it's simply oozing the Lord Jesus Christ in all that you say and do. In a godly, beautiful fragrance. My beautiful mother says, Son, whenever you go somewhere, smell good. So we've got heaps of deodorant. That's not what she's talking about. Make sure that you leave a good fragrance behind in your character. In your character. And guess what? I'm trying to teach my boy exactly the same thing. Exactly the same thing. Because have you left something positive in somebody's life? Because that's a sign that you're being, uh, living a life that's pleasing to God. And thirdly and in closing, God is blessing us. God is blessing us. How do we know that? Well, he says in verse 13, I am with you. In other words, you've turned from yourself, you've put me number one, and I am with you. Your priorities are in the right place. The word I, in the Hebrew, me, myself, the very, the very essence and presence of God is there. And the word with, such a deep Hebrew word, it means my nearness is there. I am among you in your life. I am for you. I am before you. I am by you. And in fact, I am even against you when you want to do a stupid thing. Wow. Isn't that amazing? 
When I want to do my own thing, God is even against me. Why? Because he says, I am with you. In chapter 1, verse 13. And we know that we know that we know that he's not distant. He is right among us. That, I suggest to you, is an absolute blessing. Because from all of that oozes who we are. You know the story of the jar of life. There you can see that there are some jars up there. And the story goes like this. This instructor comes up. It was a time management seminar and he told the participants to prepare for a quiz. They reached under the table and took out a wide-mouthed five-liter jar and set it up on the table. Next to the jar were a number of fist-sized rocks. And he asked the group, how many of these rocks do you think we can get inside this jar? The participants made their guesses. The instructor said, let's find out. One by one, he began to put as many fist-sized rocks as he could into the jar until the rocks inside were level with the top of the jar. The instructor then asked, is the jar full? All the participants looked at the jar filled with rocks and said it was. But then he reached under the table and pulled out a bucket of gravel. Then he dumped some gravel in and shook the jar. The gravel filled the spaces between the big rocks, and he grinned and asked again, Is the jar full? Participants were not about to be fooled a second time, so they said, No, the jar was probably not full. So the instructor nodded and said, Good, you're catching on. And then he took a bucket of sand and poured it into the jar. Now is the jar full? No, the audience roared. He said, Good. He was pleased that they understood an important principle. The instructor poured a pitch of water into the jar. At this point, he stopped and asked, What's the point of this? Somebody said, Well, there are always gaps. If you work at it, you can always fit more into your life. The instructor said, no, that's not the point at all. If I hadn't put in those big rocks first, I would never have gotten them in at all. What should be your big rocks and my big rocks? Well, God. God. Putting him first, and then all these other things can be added to our lives. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, The purpose of life is not to be happy. It is to be useful, to be honorable, to be compassionate, to have it make some difference that you have lived and lived well. In other words, you've left a beautiful fragrance behind. St. Catherine of Siena said, Be who God meant you to be, And you will set the world on fire. Wow. Charles Swindoll, the great preacher, said, Life is 10% what happens to you and 90% of how you react to it. As you sit here this morning, I don't know what's going on in your life. But please, God, may this message of turning from self be so, so true in our lives, so we can put God first in everything. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word to our hearts. Thank you, Lord, that it's not by might, nor by power, but only by your Holy Spirit that we're able to fulfill what you've called us to do. 
And so, Lord, we pray that there, if there are any gaps in our lives, gaps that need to be filled with your presence, we pray that we will make space for them, Lord, and we will put those big rocks that represent you first. Help us to do this, Lord, we pray. Because in our own strength, we cannot. But only by your Holy Spirit. Help us, we pray, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 9329-1777. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.